Yo, yo, yo. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I'm back from Vacay. I've been on holiday last week. Uh, it was nice. Three-month-old baby uh, is not necessarily the kind of holiday that you might expect if you're used to just kind of like lying on the beach and doing nothing. But uh, it was enjoyable nonetheless. But I'm back in the saddle now, and it is only less than, well, just over one week until Unpassed, the world's first conversation design conference in London uh, on the 25th, uh, 24th and 25th of July. Uh, I better do just check those dates because I've been in a whole day. My head's all over. It's 24th and 25th, that's right. Uh, in London, we've moved the venue now. It is now at Coin Street, right next to Waterloo Station. Now, I won't get into the details of why the venue is moved, but it is moved. It is actually going to be a lot better. Uh, the tickets are still available. You can go to unpassedconf.com to get your tickets. There's a few tickets left. Unpassedconf.com if you want to get your tickets. There's a two-for-one on right now if you're watching this live on LinkedIn and YouTube, but that will be taken down probably by the end of today or by the end of tomorrow. So if you do want to get Oak ticket for your colleagues uh, for free, you can go there right now, unpassconf.com. The world's first conversation design conference coming to London. It's going to be absolutely immense. You do not want to miss it. I'd like to give a shout out as well to our presenting sponsor today. It is Tidio. So Tidio is an AI-powered customer experience software platform. It's got a conversational AI component. It's got a live chat component. It's designed for small to medium-sized online businesses, retailers and things like that. Uh, It helps you maximize your support capacity without additional hiring costs. Remember, scaling is one of the real benefits of using conversational AI. It has uh, its its track record as it answers uh, 80% of questions successfully, which isn't too bad. Uh, And also, it's got out-of-the-box use cases for things like product availability, shipping, order status, returns, all of that kind of stuff. So if you are a small to medium-sized business and you're running online as a retailer, then you could definitely check out TDO. The live chat platform built-in means that when you escalate from the chat conversation to the live chat it's absolutely seamless um, and it's absolutely fantastic I would definitely recommend checking it out it also does recommendations and discounts based on previous behavior that your customers exhibit on your website so if you want to achieve more with fewer resources then try Tidio today you can visit tidio.com forward slash v-u-x and if you register there then you will receive a 20% discount because you've been sent there from the VOX World Podcast. You can't say fairer than that, can you? Unless you can't pronounce your T's or your H's, of course, then you cannot say fairer than that. But definitely go to tidio.com forward slash V-U-X. Thank you, Tidio, for presenting VUX World. Now, on with today's show, I have an epic guest uh, coming up today. It is Andre Papancha, who is the CEO and co-founder of NLX. Now, you may have come across NLX before. It's a conversational AI platform. It's doing things slightly differently. I'm very interested to talk to Andre today because... Uh, I've come across NLX numerous times in the past. Most recently, uh, must have been beginning of this year, I think it was, when it announced uh, Amazon announced its series of conversational AI partners. NLX was one of them. They've been doing some very interesting things with large language models, doing some very interesting things on the multimodal front, and I cannot wait to get into this conversation with the CEO, Andre, right now. Andre, welcome to VUX World, my friend. Thank you, Kane. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me uh, in New York right now, yeah? Yeah, good old New York. Summer, pretty hot. <laughs> Full checklist of things. Nice, nice. And you got the memo about having the dark background. We, uh, we're both on form here with, uh, with some dark I background. I really thought we'd stay on brand, so <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Nice one. Well, thank you for joining me. Appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Uh, Definitely keen to learn a a bit about uh, NLX. As I said in the intro there, I'm familiar with NLX uh, in passing, you know, being so sort of involved in this industry. You you come across all of the the platforms and technology companies. Uh, I definitely caught my eye when Amazon announced its partnerships, uh, I think it was about the beginning of the year. And uh, we were talking about Artie Merritt actually before this. I think it was Artie that was instigating a lot of that kind of stuff, which uh, shout out to Artie Merritt. Um, so yeah, definitely keen to, to learn a little bit more. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself and about, about NLX then. Sounds good. Uh, first of all, I'm the CEO and Chief Product Officer of NLX. I'm technical by trade. Um, I, I used to, I've been an engineer for as long as I can remember, uh, learned a lot by doing and uh, around 2015, 2016, I found myself at American Express uh, as one of their employees, and I got put in charge of uh, building their conversational AI platform. 
that's what kind of got me to, um, you know, in, introduced into the space and, and just whatever you can do with conversational AI, how you might scale this type of technology uh, in an enterprise environment like American Express. And uh, from there, I just spent a number of years working with other uh, large companies within the realm of conversational AI, anything from like internal use cases to, again, customer facing ones. And around uh, 2017, 2018, I, I just felt uh, things could be done a little bit differently in the market. And I made it my, my and my co-founder's mission to uh, change that. Nice. And so Amex was working on chatbots then before 2017. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Um, like and to, to be in a difficult job, there were no tooling well, available, was there? Uh, no, there, there wasn't much. And, and to be honest, um, I, I've been building, building technology ever, ever since I was in fifth grade. And I remember my parents opening up an LLC so I can legally sell my web development and design services. And, um, one of the key attributes that I believe helped me uh, with the project at Amex is that I always picked up projects I didn't know how to do, but I found interesting. So I remember on day one at Amex, they asked me, he's like, hey, how do you feel like working on bots? And I said, well, I don't really know what bots are, but let's do it. Uh, so I had a very untainted view of uh, how one might build a conversational uh, assistant or a platform. And... Um, an interesting thing while I was at American Express was that I went through the evaluation process of a lot of the NLP providers at the time in the market. Uh, this ranged from um, startups like what eventually became Dialogflow, but API.ai uh, to Wit.ai that was acquired by Facebook. I was one of their first hundred users. I remember like submitting little requests and bugs and getting like a pretty quick iteration from from the team. Um, all the way to companies like Nuance. And we ended up using Nuance for, for the NLP. But what was uncommon uh, for a lot of the, the, these vendors is that we chose to build, or I chose to build everything but the NLP. They were used to kind of selling this black box, you know, that they pass to the enterprise and it just kind of works. And then I chose to build the overall system and architect it and then uh, choose the different NLP providers. And what was also interesting in practice is that the differences between the different NLPs and were, were relatively insignificant. They had some performance differences in that, you know, some were more accurate than others, but like with similar training data, they performed relatively the same. And ultimately, it didn't matter that you could tell someone's trying to file a dispute or a card or to replace their card if you didn't know, um, if you didn't have conversational content to automate the specific business process. So that was like a key learning that then became the foundation of uh, how we do things at NLX, where all these different AI uh, models and components, whether it's the NLP or the, or the traditional NLP or large language models, they're plugins. You can swap them in and out because ultimately they have the same function. Some are better than others and customers might have a preference for one versus the other but ultimately they serve the same function in the holistic end-to-end system um, and how it's operationalized. Mm. It's mad because I remember in 2018, every platform was really playing on the fact that they have better performing NLU than another. You know, my NL, this NLU is 86% accurate on XYZ kind of industry or whatever. Um, and I, I always remember, we've had plenty of discussions about it, which is that over time, NL, NLU components will become commoditized because they all basically work in the same way. They do the same thing. If they're given the right, maybe different NLU systems might require different types or different formatted training data to get more leverage out or whatever, but essentially they're kind of doing the same thing. So they become commoditized. I think we're probably not quite there, but I think we'll end up there, which is large language models will become commoditized because they're only going to be in the hands mm -hmm. of a, handful of providers they're all built on the same architecture they're all using the same sort mm -hmm. of uh, methodologies so they're all going to give you a very similar kind of output more or less and so let's just say that imagine that's the case large language models are commoditized nlu systems are commoditized what's the bit that you find through nlx 
is the stuff that isn't easily commoditized, but that's crucial in order to make this stuff work in practice? It's essentially enabling users, enabling end users and customers to effectively uh, build these experiences at the speed of thought. Because based on you know my earlier analogy for American Express, where content was the biggest driver of automation. I mean, I, we had like a, a full-time, full-time staff that was just working through copy edits and, you know, it's, it's impressive what a few words and a comma can do to automation rates. Like I'll give you a concrete example. Let's say um, for most credit card providers and banks, you have to let them know, maybe that's changing a little bit, but at the time, most, most providers, except for Amex, you have to let them know if you're traveling abroad, because otherwise they might, you know, block your uh, transactions. So people having been trained over the years to do that, they would go and like chat and say, hey, like I'm, I'm traveling to France. Can you please make sure my card works? And the standard answer is, uh, thank you for letting us know. Don't worry, you never let, have to let American Express know that you're traveling. We monitor your account, enjoy your trip, right? We always monitor your account, enjoy your trip. So, so really that, that's like a good op- example of like an opportunity that can get automated all the time, but because of the habit of the habitual thing that people experience with other vendors, then Amex has to kind of deal with this. And the way you frame the language determines whether that person needs additional clarification and wants to speak to an agent or not. So having seen that, we already look at the market of both NLPs and LLMs as being commoditized. Even with the LLMs, for instance, we, we make that available, whether in a pure generative fashion or through embeddings, through our platform today, but we give you choice. You want to use OpenAI? Fine. You want to use Cohere or Anthropic? Fine. You want to use Amazon, any of the Amazon Bedrock models or Titan or whatever? Equally fine. They all kind of serve the same type of purpose, but ultimately, um, in practice, you'll always have to evolve the conversation with the customer, right? The world changes. There's another pandemic. There's a shift in consumer behavior. All these different things will constantly evolve these conversations. And uh, no matter what the perception is, when it comes to an enterprise, you can't just run off of with pure generative content. Like brand, legal won't allow that. So you need to make sure you can make changes and evolve these conversations as fast as possible. So that's where we've put a lot of focus on, while of course having a cutting edge NLU stack, we do our own NLU, but then we allow customers to pick their own NLP. But ultimately we know that pairing that with like powerful content management that's easy to use and intuitive and can be used by non-technical users is critical to these organizations, uh, you know, being efficient, like long-term. They don't want to wait two weeks to make a change. They want to make it within the first five minutes that they spotted that something might be wrong. Like let's use an example for airlines, right? Um, or, or maybe because backtra- backtracking a little bit more speech to text technology is imperfect. It's at the state of the art. That's fascinating, but it's imperfect. Like my last name, Papancha, you know, it will never get picked up correctly by any speech to text engine. Your first and last names will not be transcribed correctly either. But sometimes these, these elements like names are part of a, key like business process, right? Or someone might come in and say, hey, um, cancel flight. Now, even the way I said it right now, I could have said cancel flight, like, you know, uh, C-A-N-C-E-L, or I could have said canceled because I have a slight accent. I'm from Romania originally, right? But then the speech-to-text might have not picked up that nuance. And all of a sudden, the differences between I want to cancel my flight and I have a canceled flight, it's quite substantial from a business process standpoint. So mm-hmm. when you're working with the imperfection of the environment, instead of just kind of keep promising like, oh, we'll give you 100% accuracy on speech to text, which is impossible, accept the imperfection of the environment you're operating in and then build tooling that allows you to deal with the imperfection. And that's what we do at NLX very well. Mm. And so how would... An example of that tooling work then in that use case where you've got someone says cancel my flight or cancelled flight. Uh, 
what you're doing. Are, are you using something? Would you recommend using something like authenticating the user and then bringing in context from what you know of them, either the CRM or whatever, to then check essentially what's their current status of their current flight mm-hmm. so that you can, I mean, arguably you could do that and get away with them not even saying flight cancelled because you can look for yourself, <laughs> find that out. Mm-hmm. That's the whole need for the utterance in the first place. But like, mm-hmm. what like techniques you'd recommend to, to deal with some of the imperfections of, of speech recognition in particular? It's certainly rooted in design. And one choice could be what you described, where having good access to, um, you know, background on the customer uh, to, to then basically know that, hey, this person's flight just got canceled. Uh, so that's probably what they mean. So they can make an assumption. But frankly, what, what, what typically works well is just asking, are you calling about, uh, do, are you looking to cancel an existing flight? They say no. Then you can make a very safe assumption. They're trying to, uh, you know, they have a canceled flight and kind of take them from there. And similarly, design is also like a fantastic way to solve problems for, you know, well, g- gaining trust with the end user. Because we all know that there's, there's a plethora of bad conversational AI assistants out there. And, you know, I, I remember we, we've seen in, in some deployments, like people, like someone was able to squeeze in like 15 zeros <laughs> to try to get to an agent just because they were used to it. Uh, but when you greet someone in personally where it's like, hello, thank you for calling um, XYZ business. How can I assist you today? Versus let's say we'll use an airline example again, like, hello, Kane, thank you for, for calling. I see you have an upcoming flight from London to New York. Is this what you're calling about? You could hate every single bot in existence. You will say yes to that question because it's contextual and you're calling not because you want you want to chit chat. You're trying to solve your problem. So then you're kind of fast track. Now, in order to facilitate good design, you need to have really good analytics. So the way we we uh, do analytics within our platform, um, within the NLX platform, is is has a couple different layers. We have like the, the typical, you know, you'll have like dashboards and charts and things like that. But we also have like some pretty unique like conversation design level analytics where you can see the overlay of how traffic applies to the design itself. Because if you and I solve the same business problem, our designs are almost guaranteed to not be the same, whether you're moving nodes a little bit differently or whatever it is, they'll, they'll be distinct. So then it's useful to kind of see how customers engage with the design directly. And then where you see drop-offs or anything like that's off, you can make corrections. And that's also the reason why we don't typically recommend and don't rely uh, and don't encourage customers to rely on metrics like containment. That's a pretty poor measure of user experience. Cause like, mm-hmm. you know, I can give you hundred percent containment by not allowing you to ever get to an agent, but that's, that doesn't mean you're going to, you know, want to do business with that brand anymore. So like we're, we're being very thoughtful about, again, accepting the uh, chaotic nature of the environment that you operate in where end users can say whatever they want, whenever they want, and then rooting the, the, the latest innovations in the conversational AI space in practicality so you can actually make it usable by, by uh, enterprises. Hmm. So what you were talking about there, which is kind of like fusing the analytics with the design, does that mean what I think of when I hear that is you'll open up some kind of canvas, which has got Mm -hmm. your dialogue nodes and everything all over the place. And then from your design canvas, you will be able to see from, let's say, the how can I help you node you'll be able to do analysis at the design level to say, well, what did people say at this point and how can we change that? Is, am I understanding that correctly? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So basically you can see, let's say 100% of the traffic came to this node, then it's split over here, then it dropped off over there. Uh, and then you can also put apply tags, unique tags at the different parts of the conversation because let, let's use a, a, another example. Let's say I, I want to track automation for a specific use case. Containment is not a good measure of automation and neither is getting necessarily to the end of the flow. 
maybe the flow incorporates a survey that the customer just chooses not opts not to continue. But yeah. if they got far enough through the flow where you know they 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 solved their business problems, so you want to track that. So so we also kind of keep this analytics engine flexible so that our 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 customers pick the analytics and the KPIs that make sense to them as opposed to just giving them out of the box metrics and saying, well, that's all you get because we know best because we built this. Like, yeah. We don't know best. You know best. You're the business owner. You know what, what actually is a measure of, of quality for your business. Yeah. So, and, and every conversation is different, isn't it? So if you have that flight cancel example, um, if, if someone wants to cancel their flight or rebook a flight, then mm-hmm. inevitably you need to integrate that conversation with a, with a line of business system of some description. And then when that task is fulfilled, that line of business system will give you a success. Yes, it's happened kind of thing, which then the assistant mm-hmm. can then say, okay, fantastic. I've canceled your flight. So, and, and so you might tag that the the node that says thank you I've cancelled it so you can say that's a successfully fulfilled transaction mm-hmm. but that's going to be different for every single conversation because every use case is different and this is part of the, the, part of the challenge for analytics um, providers mm-hmm. that, that just do analytics specifically is because we view it as like there's three layers to analytics you've got the conversation analytics which is mm-hmm. like a little bit of what we've been discussing when someone says how can I help mm-hmm. you what's the fallback rate on every turn and sequence and what's the escalation rate and is the escalations happening in a place where you would expect it to or not um, in fact that's mm-hmm. kind of the next level and then so that's conversation level NLU intent so that. then the business level is did we get the job done or not which is and you, you can't do that without that tagging that you express, you know, because every every single conversation, the measure of success is different. And then the third layer is exactly. the customer journey layer. So if I have a conversation with an assistant today and I leave, you know, the, the assistant can try and tag as much as it can. But if I call back the contact center in two days time about the same issue, <laughs> the assistant hasn't done its job. So tying together the broader customer journey piece. So I think analytics for mm-hmm. is always going to require thought and manual intervention and it's nice to hear that you're kind of approaching it in that sort of flexible fashion rather than just saying right you've designed a conversation now here's your metrics here's your confidence score here's here's the out of the box stuff and now use that because that's what a lot of providers do with some of the big folks who um you know i don't want to name names in that but you can probably guess that the big cloud providers will give you mm-hmm. one you know that's exactly it and and ultimately we just listen to the customers. We see what, what matters to them. And that's, that's how we build our product. We build our product to, to, you know, oftentimes, to be honest, even when we win customers over, we win customers over because we're honest, even at the, the, the potential risk of losing the business because we say something different than the rest of the pack. But we'd rather just tell them what's practical and what makes sense than to just deceive them that they'll get some form of magic and you know for that reason even even the concept of you know you you, you touched on you you picked up on the on the canvas component because we do have a canvas that's no code and you, you can sort of scaffold the business logic if you may sometimes people mistake that for like oh well so it's rules based it's like no 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 it's ai based it's an nlp powered uh especially to kind of identify the intent to capture different entities and slots, right? As, as, as the conversation progresses. And let's say if I say I want to replace my damaged goal card, I'm not going to ask you what card type or replace, what's the replacement reason for the card? Cause I already picked that up, right? So like it has all that intelligence, but then business processes are structured. Any form of AI model is statistical by definition, which is absolutely guaranteed to be imperfect. So you can't afford an AI to decide to skip steps in a business process because it, the confidence score said so. So we, we take that very seriously, but then we, we pair it with the more free-form, unstructured interaction that's powered by large language models in a, you know, always we're always focused on rooting that in practicality and brand safety, if you may. But then, you know, instead of managing 200 FAQs or knowledge-based items, yeah, sure. That one you can keep a little bit more freeform so it's flexible when people ask questions, but there's always a component where the conversation is just 
has to follow a somewhat structured path. And that's okay, because if it yields good self-service rates and high customer satisfaction, you're solving the problem. It doesn't really matter how you solve it if it addresses the needs. Yeah, and you, you hit the nail on the head, which is that when you get beyond the kind of, so we've got this sort of like, use case maturity model which is called DITAP which essentially starts with the D which is deflecting and that's where a lot of companies start they'll start with use cases that are just deflective in nature I ask a question signpost them to a web page or ask a question answer a question it doesn't really do anything it just answers questions and points you to different places mm-hmm. and you've got like assisting which is maybe that's like a one-way retrieval of data from a system. So you're actually starting to be helpful. You're assisting, or, or a, good, a good example of assisting is rooting. So, you know, mm-hmm. someone says something. Oh, sorry, the, 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 that's, the I is, is interpreting, sorry. So a good example of interpreting is, is rooting. So someone comes to the chatbot and says, I need to cancel my flight. You would route them to the appropriate agent because you know what they want kind of thing. You know what the intent is. Mm-hmm. Or you would interpret their need and retrieve something from a, from a line of business system and answer answer a query. Then you move to transacting, which is two-way integrations. That's where you're getting into the business process kind of side of things. And then you're on to assisting, which is uh, being more proactive. We've mentioned a few of those things, like using the data that mm-hmm. you have in CRM to preempt what the conversation is going to be about. And then transforming, which is the kind of like a stage where the AI assistant is doing things that humans just couldn't possibly do, you know, uh, transform. Mm-hmm terms of business process and business models. And so that transacting part, the middle part is where, where people are starting to get to. They've done some FAQs. They've done some like one-way data retrieval. When's my package going to be delivered? Oh, it's going to be there on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Right, I want to order a package now. Or I want to change the delivery now. So now you're moving into transacting. And in those cases, you cannot escape business rules because businesses are based you on processes. And so I'm curious to get what your thoughts are on large language models at the moment when it comes to the more, because those are the higher value use cases, really, because it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you hear and you'll read a lot about large language models being the future. Generative AI is absolutely going to turn this whole kind of conversational AI industry on its head. But as you said, anything statistical that doesn't have that logic behind it is prone to fault so i'm curious about where you think your thoughts generally first of all on large language models and the what's been going on with large language models and the attention it's been having but then crucially what is the role of large language models in your view when it comes to enterprise automation i think one of the their best strength is and highest levels of utility, especially like around enterprise use cases and customers revolve around accuracy, improving accuracy and then detection accuracy, where with drastically less training data, you can better identify what the customer intent is. So you take them, you drive them to the right business process or to the right question and whatnot. Uh, which right now with traditional NLP providers, you you know, someone comes in and they're not semantic at all. So then like someone says the question's slightly different that doesn't use the same words that maybe they had in the training data. And all of a sudden it's, it's thrown off and it, it just creates a poor experience. Large language models solve that problem, which is quite fantastic. And that's where, you know, the differences between the different models can, can matter here because uh, you know, you, you might have like 10, 20% differences, which when it comes to accuracy, could be quite high. Um, so that, that's one fantastic use case we see for like the, let's say, in conversation mode, if you may. Um, well, in that, in that example, you have, before, yeah. sorry, before, before moving on, in that example, mm. you're not using the LLM specifically for classification, are you? Are you using the LLM? Are you using the LLM on its own for classification, or are you using the LLM in conjunction with an intent model to bring greater accuracy to the intent model? Good, good. Thank you for, for asking that. Good clarification. So we are using the LLM as a way to boost the accuracy of the traditional NLP model. So we've, we've gone and we're going to announce this one particular feature um, within the next week or so. It's, it's going to be called uh, NLX Boost, go figure. Uh, and it, it effectively um, 
augments the NLP and then improves, like boosts the confidence. Because oftentimes a lot of the, the NLPs that we integrate, like on Amazon, like for Google Dialogflow, they do a decent job at identifying the intent, but not always with the right level of uh, confidence. And that can fluctuate quite highly. And uh, in, in, especially in cases of like low confidence and things like that, our, our implementation of these large language models can, can actually significantly boost the, uh, the, the confidence score. And then it, it basically drives, we've gotten like over 90% boost in performance over traditional NLP by using the, uh, the NLX boost feature I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. So um, there's, so in a sense, we've, the way we've implemented it, it results in um, 0% false uh, negatives because typically, um, or false positives, my bad. Because uh, it typically, you know, just boosts the confidence of what the NLP mm -hmm. is already kind of thinking it's the right thing. And then if the LLM also kind of hits with high confidence, that's in practice, in practice, it turns out it's, it's, it's quite uh, um, powerful. So yeah, that's, that's how we do it. So the, correct me if I'm wrong, I just want to check, I understand what you're saying here. The, the primary, the primary, um, so the primary problem that that's solving is that when you have an utterance that doesn't have high confidence on anything, so otherwise it's going to trigger a fallback and say whatever it's going to say. Is that where you would mm -hmm. use it to pop up everything else that's not classified and you wouldn't use it on the ones that, which have already got high confidence or do you use it on everything as a matter of course? Uh, we use it and I guess I, I'd say a majority of the use cases. Sometimes if there are situations where it's straightforward to infer high confidence from the NLP, in which case we're like, okay, we'll save the extra ne network call. For all the other cases, we go to the LLM anyways. Now, there is a difference here. When I say LLM, I don't mean we're going to a third party like OpenAI or Cohere. We have uh, some flavor of our own NLM that, that's deployed within our own premises. So like the response times are like sub- 100 milliseconds. So it has minimal uh, performance impact on the user experience. And that's, that's pretty important to us holistically. So we've, we've implemented it in a way that that's just very efficient and it doesn't add a lot of additional load to, you know, the, the many things that make, make up the stack, right. Of a conversational assistant, especially when it, when you're talking voice, right. Over chat, you have a little bit more, uh, more leeway in how fast you respond, but over voice, it has to, it has to feel pretty natural. So, mm, absolutely, absolutely cool. Well, apologies, I, I did cut you off last time because we were going through no some other areas where you think LLMs are where, where they work well for, for enterprise automation. So, I guess for anyone who's watching this and isn't isn't super familiar, maybe to the depths of LLMs or what they produce. Uh, in general, they, 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 they kind of have like two outputs. One's a generative output, uh, which is what we've been seeing with the likes of ChatGPT and Claude from Anthropic and other things. And then the other output is embeddings. So anything that's leveraging the embeddings is typically what we consider safe for the enterprise because it typically then provides control. It, it, it gives hints of what the topic in question might be. And then we, we, pair that with the more structured or brand approved language, like let's say driving knowledge based type of questions, but like with brand approved language. Um, and then there's the generative portion that we don't see a lot of practicality for it during the runtime itself, um, except for use cases where maybe you might summarize the conversation before you escalate it to an agent. Uh, or even if you just want to summarize the conversation as you consolidate the transcript, right, in the system. So that basically, uh, if someone reviews it, they don't have to necessarily, they, they can just look at the high-level description, if you may. Uh, but we see fantastic use of the, the generative portion of the large language models within the product itself. So fast-tracking, authoring, improving, you know, generation, whether it's generation of training data, or we recently um, announced and introduced um, 
a generative component within our canvas itself, where if you're trying to, let's say, examples of capturing user inputs and validating them and uh, uh, basically re doing retry logic. So rather like for, for these things, I can get a little finicky when you build them out because you do need a little bit of a programmatic thinking when you're laying them out, even though it's no code. Not, nothing's rocket science, but if it can save you five minutes, there's value out there. So we, we, we see um, the generative text component being quite valuable when it comes to authoring within the product. So we, we've been investing quite a bit there. Also because it's safe. Because ultimately we see the generative AI or generative text. I like to kind of put the text in there because generative AI is a very broad uh, uh, spectrum. We see the, the the use cases that tolerate imperfection are fantastic for for the the degenerative text component. Customer facing enterprise use cases are not they, they do not tolerate the imperfection that these uh, large language models can do. Like I, I remember when Expedia, there's lots of examples in the market, but I remember when Expedia announced their ChatGPT integration, it took five minutes to to break it and get it to engage on competitive conversations on political conversation, incorrect political facts. So it's like, that. don't do that to your brand. That's just not, mm. I mean, generative text is effectively a large autocomplete. It's a smarter autocomplete than what we're used to, but it, it's, it's, it's what it is. So it, it, it will make mistakes. Uh, and uh, what we see with a lot of large customers, they have no tolerance for those kind of mistakes. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, I've been describing it as like, depended on the degree of, conf of of consequence of getting it wrong. Like what's the consequence of getting something wrong? If it's a highly consequential use case, you don't really want to touch it. If the consequences of getting it wrong are really, really low, then fine, experiment. But it's like, how do you determine what a, a highly consequential use case is and what isn't? How do you determine where accuracy is important and where it's not? Like a, an example of where you might find that accuracy is perhaps not quite as important is in general kind of chit chat. Like if a chatbot is mm -hmm. there specifically to have small talk and specifically to be there to be spoken with it about anything, you would imagine that that might be you get away with it. And then I look at Snapchat, mm -hmm. which was the kind of like launch partner for OpenAI's GPT 3.5. It might even be the chat GPT API. And I don't know if you know the Center of Human Technology. I don't know if you've come across the, some of their stuff, but uh, mm -hmm. fantastic, fantastic organization doing a lot of stuff to further the, the cause for responsible AI. And they uncovered uh, through playing around with chat, uh, chat, Snapchat's um, chatbot that they essentially posed as a 13-year-old girl, told this AI that, that she'd met somebody 18 years her senior and through a series of conversations managed to say that I'm going on holiday with him and we're planning on having sex for the first time. How do I make my first time special? And throughout all of these opportunities for the AI to say something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, it just went along with the whole time. And in the end, it ended up saying something akin to it's important to make sure your first time special. Try lightening the mood by playing music and lighting candles. You know, so it's like even something you would think is like chat, yeah, and it's uh, accuracy is not important because if we get you see it's like, it's, it's all right, but then all of a sudden you can find it up to the point where it's it's not picking up on real sort of red flags. So I'm kind of like I, I agree with everything you've said so far, and I think that everything that you've said is, is things that either we've done or I've seen. Not necessarily we've done, but you know, I mean, like I've, I've come across most of this kind of stuff and it's all, all exactly what you would thought hope for. Mm -hmm. But I don't know about you, but my kind of like apprehension about all of this is is that it's that in in live public facing situations there is just a lot of risk in just letting these things kind of hundred percent. I mean anything outside of pure entertainment and even then you just gave this example, right? That's pretty eerie with Snapchat, people make the, <clears throat> the, the mistake of thinking that when you, when you call brands, that somehow we want to chit chat. Nobody mm. calls an airline or a bank or, uh, you know, like a retailer because, Hey, I'm just going to have like a 10 minute conversation with this thing. Cause there's like, 
vendors out there like touting, like they're showing use cases where you have babies crying in the backgrounds, like how's your day? Oh, it was like this and that, chatting with the AI system. Nobody does that. I'm pissed. I have a problem. Your service or product isn't meeting my spec and I'm going out, I'm, I'm basically going out of my way to waste time to address this issue that shouldn't have been there in the first place. I want to finish my transaction with you as fast as possible. So even the very premise of like enabling that too much of that chit chat in practice doesn't exist. I remember even when I was at Amex, oh, we spent so much time on like little features where, you know, we wanted to be smart and like, oh, if the customer says like, oh, I want to replace my platinum card. Oh wait, no, it's my gold card. Nobody talks like that. Those mm-hmm. things don't get triggered. 18, 19% of the use cases just get tackled. Some of them are complex, right? So there's important technology techniques that can fit in. And, you know, we, we, we do some of this stuff um, where you need to deploy in order to solve some of the more complex use cases. But most, most of these companies have like five to 10 use cases that represent the majority of their volume that, that basically need to be tackled in order to, to solve the issues. So just focus on those and let, you know, the, 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 on the other hand, technologies like ChatGPT are freaking fantastic for consumers. I use it. You know, there's all kinds of fast track things that you can use it for that provides value, but it doesn't have the same value across industries or use cases or, or you know, the, 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 you get the gist. <laughs> but, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think we'll get to a, a stage where the novelty will wear off a little bit like sort of like with Amazon Alexa and Google assistant. That's the the closest thing I can kind of compare it to, which is the same kind of thing. Ask it something, get a response back, tell it to do something. It'll do something for you. Um, And what used to have, there was a really great study and I'd be interested to see if the same thing's happening with ChatGPT. There's a really interesting study, which showed that when people first get a voice assistant, like Amazon Alexa or Google assistant, what happens is if you, if you imagine a graph and the, the up at the vertical axis is level of experimentation and the bottom axis is time. What you find is the level Mm -hmm. of experimentation peaks when they get the device. So that's when they're first trying everything. They're trying music, timers, skills. They're trying all kinds of stuff because it's new and it's novel. Then what happens is they realize it can't do certain things. And so the level of experimentation drops in time. But then it peaks mm-hmm. every now and then. So the level of experimentation peaks when, when, they have, when someone comes around. Oh, you've got an Alexa. Oh, yeah, look, it can do this. Oh, have you tried this? Oh, no. And then they'll, they'll experiment again. So there's these little peaks and troughs of experimentation. And, and for Amazon, the idea is, hopefully, when someone experiments with something, finds a new feature, they continue using that feature. But I don't know mm-hmm. whether that's Alexa. Because you speak to anyone who's got an Amazon Alexa device now, and they're still just playing the radio and playing music. And so... Well, lights. <laughs> heating heat the lights, yeah. Um, so, and when I when I, I mean I use ChatGPT as well, and I've I've been using it a lot for getting ideas started for blog articles. Like I'll take a podcast transcription, throw part of it into ChatGPT, generate me an article. We use it for generating some social media posts of the videos we do. So we'll give it the video transcript. We'll say write a social media post for that. But I've noticed, and it always requires re it always requires rewriting quite heavily, because I've noticed a pattern, mm-hmm. which is it just grabs lines, random lines, rewords them, and puts them together again, which isn't necessarily the same as adding your own interpretation of what's just happened. It's just taking what's happened and doing it slightly, cutting bits out and reconfiguring it. And so I've noticed a little bit of a pattern when it comes to giving it something to summarize. It's not necessarily great at creating off the back of, of the things that you give it. It just It's fairly good at summarizing to an extent where it still requires attention. It still requires a lot of work to get mm-hmm. to so I don't know whether you feel the same and this is not necessarily an enterprise automation question this is just purely for, as a consumer of technology it seems to me as though I can recognize slight patterns with it certainly for the use cases that I use it for and I don't know whether or not it's kind of the, the, the be all and end all that it's kind of being made out to be I don't know what your thoughts are that's, a, that's an interesting question and honestly I don't I mean the novelty will taper off at some point, but I think it will just become commonplace. It will just be the standard, just like Google is the standard. Like 
within Google, I mean, we, we, everyone, I mean, takes it for granted nowadays, but there's such sophisticated technology that goes behind. I mean, as, as a matter of fact, they invented the transformer. Google search is powered by the same architecture that ChatGPT is, right? Packaged differently. And, you know, OpenAI was just very creative in marketing it. But um, I think we, you, you, as these innovations, these disruptive innovations get mass adoption, maybe the wow effect goes away, but you just take it as commonplace. I mean, I've grown with the internet, so I remember anything from dial-up and the initial, like, shitty-looking websites to now, like, the powerful stuff that you can do today and the fact that, you know, you can go on an app and, like, order someone a car to take you from point A to point B. Like, that's absolutely commonplace today. Nobody thinks about that as any form of, like, exciting innovation. But when it first came out, like I remember I was in New York, so thankfully that was the playground of both Lyft and Uber. It was the best freaking thing. And I, I think we'll see the same with the likes of ChatGPT and all the other similar technologies. Um, it does introduce a layer of innovation that I think as it gets packaged into more products and services, it will continue to deliver on an elevated level of utility. Like just as we were, I, I, I referenced our, our new feature in the canvas where you can just kind of like type free form and get various capabilities. One of our um, front end engineers just keeps kept calling out this use case. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to share it because I found it interesting. Um, you know, a lot of input validation, um, you know, if you want to do it right, typically boils down to some form of regular expressions, which are non-trivial to write. Not everyone knows how to write them. This thing in Freeform, when you ask it, because it's using one of these generative engines, it spits out perfectly working like like regular expressions. Like I can't imagine like wanting to like go write regular expressions by hand anymore. And yes, even if you do them, you know, with ChatGPT, you might need to make some tweaks and whatnot it's fine. You still then have to write the whole thing. And that applies to a lot of other use cases, like writing drafts for a website or an article. And sure, you're not going to take it, you know, at, at, uh, uh, you know, whatever it was given, you'll make some changes, but it still kind of gets you a little bit further. So I think we'll see a lot more. I mean, we're already seeing a lot of companies, right. That they're build, building like thin layers around the likes of chat GPT. Uh, but some of those are really creative and, when you put them in, in, in good context, like I've seen these widgets that just kind of summarize the article or the things you see on a page, or um, we are recently part of a, an accelerator, uh, generative AI accelerator for Comcast. And one of the companies in, um, um, in the program, they're called W Scripted, uh, shout out to Ellie from W Scripted. They, um, th their, their mission is more broadly like looking to impact uh, you know, sort of diversity in, in, in Hollywood and just kind of make everything more equitable. And one of the components of um, th their, their product they're offering is to summarize movie scripts and distill them into, uh, you know, more digestible uh, readouts and high, quickly extracting like key elements, any car character development and all kinds of other attributes. I don't want to like go deeper than this because it's not my area of expertise, but I found it to be like a really interesting use of, the generative technology that otherwise requires like, you know, three days to read the book and all kinds of other things that can now be done in like a couple of minutes and you digest a lot more content. So um, I'm excited by whatever this future, the normalization of the technology will bring. Cause I think it will just kind of create this new normal of expectation, I guess. Hundred percent. It's 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 the new normal of ambient computing, is as how I see it. Every, everything being conversational, um, which is the kind of vision we were talking a lot about with with Alexa uh, in twenty seventeen. Is like uh, computing should be ambient uh, utterance away wherever you are, you know. And don't get me wrong. Like as I say, we use it all the time. I use it all the time. And what it what it does with the transcripts is like one of the transcripts, for example. Um, from a previous podcast it's generated like three ideas for articles of one transcript and the thing about transcripts is if anyone wants to sit there and read a transcript as, as engaging as this conversation we're having now is if you were to read this transcript the details would just be lost in all of the stuff that goes into having an actual dialogue and so 
it's really mm-hmm. good at just like d- getting rid of the things like half of this sentence that I'm saying, like these last five words have been pointless. But the bit that's important about what I'm about to say is that ChatGPT is really good at taking the, the meat and getting rid of the rubbish. So in that, in what I've mm-hmm. just said so far, the only important thing I've said so far is ChatGPT is good at getting rid of fluff and keeping the, the, the main stuff. But if you were to read the transcript, it would take you forever to draw that insight out. So it's, it's really good at that kind of thing. I definitely think it will be the most systems will have it included in, in to some degree. I think most interfaces are going to become conversational as, as we've been talking about for years. But you touched on something which is interesting, which I've only seen, I think, two other companies do, which is turning your platform itself into a conversational interface, as in the way that you use the actual software is by typing to mm-hmm. it. Which, and I think that's what we'll see a lot more of, is that the way that you actually mm-hmm. programs and software and SaaS services is by just explaining what you want it to do or asking it to do a task or asking it to generate something for you and then it will manipulate the software to do such. Yeah, and we, we landed on that because once you, the premise of it is once you have a solid foundation and the building block that can, let's say, create resources, train and do this, do that. You, you can incorporate those into, if you can contrive those into uh, fewer steps, because ultimately conversational AI is great for use cases that in, in, in situations where you can reduce the number of steps. If, if I'm doing the same steps as like clicking on a page and then it's kind of pointless to fit the use case through that. But if it would take me five steps in a, let's say, non-conversational use and it takes two over conversational, that's a fantastic way. So if I can just verbalize a bunch of things and quickly or type a bunch of things and then quickly just reduce the, the number, get the intended result and reduce the number of steps, it's great. So we're, we're working with with our customers and we invite them like go break it go say all kinds of things that you might want this to do and then we work backwards from that to figure out how do we enable that more and more uh to 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 accelerate their um um let's say development design whatever they're trying to do and ultimately as a conversational AI company what type of company would we be if we didn't use our own technology to drive <laughs> you know efficiency within our products and services with it Definitely. It's very meta, isn't it? Conversational AI companies creating, uh, creating, using conversational AI to help people create conversational AI. <laughs> exactly. Uh, quick shout out to Richard E. Otty, or Otty, who said, great conversation, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert Wethmer, for joining in as well. Uh, we've got a question from Richard, if you game, uh, which is, uh, can ChatGPT or another AI software plug into a comment section, like the comment section we have going on here, in a live selling situation? I wouldn't see why not. And uh, I feel I bumped into a company that was trying to do this. I mean, it's, it's, it's just great because it can distill. I, I've seen, so I guess maybe, Richard, I, I hope I'll, I'll, I'll maybe give you an answer to something I've experienced recently. So I'm in a founder group in New York, and I don't know, it's a, a WhatsApp group with a couple hundred people in it. And the administrators of, of the group uh, introduced this concept a few weeks back where on a weekly basis they – they use uh, ChatGPT to summarize all the topics discussed because it's a very noisy channel. Like on any given day, you might have like, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 threads going on, each with their own sets of messages, but in the same thing, right? So it's very hard to like keep track of everything, but it then distills, it summarizes this entire thing. And then it's, it's very cool to kind of like read those emails because it, it, they break it down into like different sections and all of it is just kind of generated automatically. It helps when you have a bunch of engineers who are <laughs> trying to like remove the repetitive tasks. Um, so I could totally see that being applied to, to comments as well, especially in a live uh, conversation. And uh, I think it would be also really interesting, let's say if you're in a live sales conversation where let's say maybe Kane's trying to sell me something or I'm trying to sell something to him. And then as we're having the hour long conversation, the 
AI, whether ChatGPT or something else, can then like peel off the action items or, you know, already kind of like summarizes the follow up. Like if we're talking about like, oh, I, I'm going to send you a deck, maybe it preps the email with a deck and I just revise it and hit send. I think there's a lot of opportunities for things like that, that one, they could totally be done today. It wouldn't be like a very heavy integration, but its utility could be just massive. Mm. I mean, if you look at, so these comments are coming through LinkedIn here. Jacob says, uh, I think I've seen it used on Twitter. Um, these comments are coming through LinkedIn here, but we're not on link. I'm not on LinkedIn now. So these comments are coming into a different platform. That's cool. From LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. So that means that the comments are being moved from their original state via an API to a new state. Therefore, there's nothing stopping these comments from being sent somewhere else where a model can analyze them, you know, is one is one thing. But it sounds as though actually what Richards might be describing, uh, it could be that some of the agent assist technology could be useful in that sort of uh, environment. So um, there's lots of providers that do this sort of thing, but Balto is one that I'm, I'm more familiar with where let's say you call a contact center or you're in a, on a live chat, the person on the other side of it who's having the live conversation has essentially an AI assistant that sits in the chat with them and it's looking at what they're saying, it's looking at what the customer's saying and all the way through it's guiding them and giving them things like next best action, it's recognizing the customer mm -hmm. intent, this person wants to cancel their flight, do you want to do that now? And the agent's basically got their own personal assistant that sits alongside the chat. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's known as agent assist, essentially. Um, so there's lots of, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's lots of solutions out there for that. I'm pretty sure, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Andre, but I'm pretty sure that with the, the NLX technology, you could probably knock something up that, that does something similar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we do work with some customers on that and uh, we're, we're looking to, to further uh, evolve that as, as time goes. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, the cool thing is, once again, once you have the building block, you can expand to so many different directions and use cases. And that's where the fun arises when once you can add the abstraction layers over like the solid foundation. Mm -hmm. Nice one. Cool. Uh, any, any kind of final thoughts, Andre? Any sort of like last pieces of advice that you would give people for implementing this kind of stuff, whether it's generative or whether it's kind of the, the intent-based stuff, anything to do with implementing conversational AI in the enterprise for customer experience and business transformation. What are some of the kind of like key things that you want people to take away from this conversation? If you can take one thing away from this conversation, just be honest and practical with the customer and the implementation. There's, there's a lot of, I think, mis- representation and guidance in the market that like you know you have these like it's 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 magic it's a panacea it does this it does that it does whatever you get to do but ultimately there's there's a a practicality that that layer that you kind of have to put around these use cases and these technologies to actually make them usable by end users so put yourself in the shoes of the end user and you know if, if you wouldn't engage a certain way, chances are probably others wouldn't either. So um, just like we're focused on practicality, just move away from magic and just get these things to, uh, to do work that, that makes sense. <laughs> so Definitely. a little bit abstract, but I, I think it's, it, it would be a good thing. I, I, are, you a, are you a golfer? Do you play golf or not? You know... Uh, I have played golf. I wouldn't say I'm good. I'm looking to <laughs> evolve my skills. Let's play yeah. there. I, I've played golf. I wouldn't call myself good either, but my dad is a keen golfer. I use this, uh, this anecdote all the time, but I think it rings true, which is that my dad always says that it's driving for sure, put in for door, which means that you can hit the ball a mile and do the nice show off stuff that looks really cool. But at the end of the day, if you can't do the boring stuff, which is just put the ball in the hole when you get close to the hole, then the whole thing's pointless. So it's the, the boring stuff that matters. And I think that that's what I'm more interested in as well, which is the practical side of doing this stuff, not the big, sexy, overhyped kind of potential future. Mm -hmm. What can you do mm -hmm. today? And what can you do properly? And I think that mm -hmm. the word you were looking for when you were mentioning all the hype there, uh, Andre, was bullshit. <laughs> because <as I> was, <laughs> that's correct. 
bullshit out at the moment. It's such frustrating. But anyway, anyway, I think we ended on a good point. <laughs> so uh, thank you for having me, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank, thank you for joining me as well. So NLX is nlx.ai. Am I right? Website. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. AI, if uh, this conversation has intrigued you sufficiently, which I imagine it has done, head yourself over to nlx.ai to find out more about. And I think we were saying before, you can actually just go there, get onto the platform, register, and, and start start building, can't you? Yep. If you don't send me an email, Andrea at nlx.ai, I'll, I'll make sure you get there. So Perfect. Perfect. We Thank will so uh, put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Andre, for joining me. It's absolutely fantastic. Do not forget, if you haven't registered for Unpars yet, the website is unparsedconf.com. It's two for one right now on the tickets for the world's first conversation design conference happening in London on July 24th, 25th. Uh, the two for one will be coming off at the end of this week. So you've got like probably 24 hours if you do want to get there. And I think there's probably actually... <sighs> I want to say about 20 tickets, maybe 15 tickets left. So there's not very many. So get yourself there if you do want to be there. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for joining me. Thank you, Andre, for joining me as well. Absolute pleasure. And we'll see you all in the next one.